uh, if we can open up the conversation uh, between learning and performance. And if they're mm -hmm. standing there on the range and they have one hour that week, and I hear other coaches say it, and, and I feel the pressure of it too. If someone's standing there and in whatever skill that we're trying to develop, they're not getting the performance that they want. How do we communicate that to the student that that's okay? Because that, that's a huge distinction, right? That they may be doing some great learning, even though the performance is not great. It feels like the student might be lacking in confidence because their seven iron is not flying how they want. Can right. you touch on that? I think that, I, I would say that, um, and I'm, I'm not a, a PGA professional, I'm not a teacher, but what we know is that one of the first things you want to do is communicate with your, with your student exactly what you're trying to achieve. You know, what the purpose of your uh, sessions are, what the purpose of your approach is, what the long-term goals are, and what the short-term goals may or may not be. Uh, and and that's where the learning performance distinction comes in because what we know is that you can do some things that have short-term advantages or disadvantages you can have things that will make a person much better much quickly much more quickly and you can do other things that will appear to delay the immediate progress but a lot of times those things don't stick and what I mean by stick is that they're either forgotten very quickly or once they get out onto the course, it seems like you didn't have any progress at all. You know, a totally different environment. Right? A totally different environment. And how many times have you heard the word or heard this come back to you saying, you know what, I was sitting in so well in the range the other day and I went out in the course and man, it just went away. At our facility, there, the range is uh, on one side of the driveway and you have to cross the driveway to get to the first tee. And I think... Uh, there's been a lot of golf games lost somewhere down that drive. Crossing the road. Yeah, yeah, crossing the road is a big deal at Credit Valley. It's, sure. it's amazing, you know, um, having, having skills um, appear to improve while you're on the range is such a confidence booster. And yet, when you go out in the course and those skills that supposedly had improved disappear, it's it seems to be even more of a deflation than that initial improvement felt, how that felt good about it. So, uh, so going back to your question, I would say the very, I would think the very first thing you'd want to get across to your student is, is what the purpose of your goals are, how you want to achieve them, and be upfront that if you're going to make practice difficult for them, you may not see these immediate improvements that you might see if you went to work with somebody else that would, would emphasize these short-term benefits, short-term improvements. Yeah, I guess you have to be really upfront at the start. But yeah, so can I summarize it? The, you're identifying your long-term goals based mm -hmm. on the, the amount of time you're going to be with that student overall for a yep. season or a month or a week, and then both also identifying goals each practice. Right. To say, hey, listen. We're working on approach shots in this particular practice, or mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. That doesn't mean that your performance today has to be great. That's right. Yeah. What you're uh, trying to do is make some changes on the range that will stick on the course, that will carry across that road long term. Yeah, you get to develop a skill that right. sticks with you. We talked about Bob Bjork a little while ago, and yeah. and some of the research that that he's done. Uh, 
on on practice. And one of the things that he does in his uh, um, his research is he asks people at the end of their practice session or the end of their study session, um, how well do you think you'll do on a retention test? And and those people that are in a block practice tech format say, I'm going to do great. I'm feeling good. Come back at the start of the retention test before they hit any shots or do any kind of retail. They ask them again and go, I'm ready. I'm going to do great. And then they don't do well. At the same time, the people that have undergone random practice, you know, at the end of the practice session, they ask them how well they're going to do. Yeah, probably not that great. And then they come back the next day and they do much better than the block group does. So it's that um, there's a sense of, of uh, what they call metacognitive awareness uh, that's kind of a, a false sense of learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that these short-term improvements provide this illusion that you're learning. Uh, and yet, um, and the, the short-term absence of gains provides this, again, the opposite illusion that you're not learning. And in fact, uh, these illusions can be quite, uh, quite different than reality. Uh, Bob, again, I, I, I've known Bob and talked to him quite a bit. He goes, a great example is get on an airplane. And if you're in the uh, exit row, the flight attendant will come and say, okay, well, you're in an exit row and we want you to um, be able to open the open the doors in case of emergency. And then he or she will go through the whole process of how you open the door. And by the time you, she or he leaves, you're feeling quite confident. <laughs> and But you ask yourself halfway through a flight to Los Angeles, okay, what, what is it that she asked me to do? Yeah. Nothing. It's okay. all gone. I don't so, even know why they bother with that stuff. I, I know. But, but initially, there's that illusion that, okay, yeah, I can do that. Um, but the reality is that maybe that is not the best way of getting that information across. Should that person in that seat needs to show up for a week of training under a high duress, right? Okay, we're going to crash a plane yeah. into the river, and then you need to be able to pop that yeah. door open with that's right. Uh, <laughs> back the airplane on fire. Or maybe, or maybe you know, <laughs> five minutes into the flight, flight attendant should come by and say, "Okay, now what was it I asked you right. to do?" So just to get that, uh, we were talking about earlier about trying to recall information. Yeah. You know, okay, what do you remember? Okay. And that question now has two purposes. One, it, it provides the flight attendant with an indication of how much you really remember. And two, it actually instills in the person this uh, need to retain, sorry, to recall information. And if you can't recall, to try to recreate it. And whether or not it's successful or not, that act of trying to recreate the information is itself a learning experience. Just okay. yeah, just retesting. Yeah, and and initially, they might not feel very comfortable with the fact that they've forgotten everything. Right. But the fact that they've now tried to recreate some of that information and are, you know can do some of it is uh, um, providing some relief to that illusion that they've forgotten everything. Would the flight attendant let the person know on the initial sort of uh, classroom session or the, the, the initial instructions, would that flight attendant say, hey, I'm going to ask you this again in five or ten minutes? Would that be helpful? 
and of course they try to take this analogy I think to golf at some point, but we'll, we'll keep running with it. That's a good question. Um, the person that's a good knows question. that they're going to be I would, yeah, that's a, tested on it. Yeah. They listen a little bit harder initially. That's a good question. And maybe... And then certainly we can get right into it. And is, is uh, I would depending think, on the skill, is five minutes great or half an hour into a five-hour flight? Or? Right. I would think that that if you're if you know that you're going to be tested on information, then you tend to organize the information that's presented to you in such a way that makes it retrievable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that that would be beneficial. As for when to test, I think you have to give it long enough to be forgotten, or at least uh, you know such that the test actually has an impact on uh, learning. So if you if you test too quickly and it's easily retrievable, it's like it's like looking up a phone number. You know, right. you you retain the number long enough to make the call, uh, and then if you ask it right away, you can say, well, okay, it's right there, I can give it to you. But if you can't recall it um, after five minutes, then the act of asking the person to try and recall it now has a more of an impact because they it's not readily available. They had to do the work. They had to do yeah. the work to retrieve it. That's right. So is that either our next research study, or I guess that's where the, the great golf coach has a pretty good feel for when to, how much time to let the person forget, or the great flight attendant, how long do I need to let that person forget? Yeah, well, forgetting, uh, there's a lot of reasons for forgetting. Uh, one is uh, through passive decay, you just, mm. after time, the information goes away. Another reason for forgetting is having intervening events. Right. So. Um, if, uh, if for example, you hit a shot um, and had a discussion with the coach about it, and then you want to come back to that sooner or later, uh, you're going to forget it quick, more quickly if you have other intervening, other intervening types of shots uh, rather than just time away. So I can use different tools then to, different tools to, or to challenge that student's recall of the skill. Sure. Suppose. Yeah. Um, and that could be uh, anything from just discussion uh, to actually physically having other shots. Right, yeah, mixing it up. So in, in learning versus performance, we're talking about not getting in there and, and being great today, but trying to develop some skills that we own for crossing the road and, and getting out to the first right. tee. Um, where does the, what does literature, literature say, or in your opinion, um, as far as doing some of that, uh, in, increasing the performance today, just to develop a little bit of confidence, like that false confidence going forward. Is there anything there that, you know, we, I think as a coach we want to take advantage of that. You do have to right. monitor the, if I've got a player going into a tournament. Um, today I might not push them into the most variable practice, and obviously there's there's got to be a whole mm -hmm. Uh, evaluation of that on, on periodizing and your training so that you're you trying to peak right right for that that first event yeah is there, that is there a short answer to that question where it, it you know today might be a good day to just hit those five crisp seven irons and, and walk yeah. off the tee or, or blast it uh, your final driver before you get to the first tee to, to feel really good to have that great last performance um, I don't know if there's any definitive evidence on that so to to answer answer your question 
is there a short answer? No. <laughs> there are no short answers. Yeah. Of course not. Um, not. We've got lots of tape. You know, the, the, I've always thought that this whole notion of confidence um, might, be a bit, might be overblown because you can have all the confidence in the world. That first tee shot goes out of bounds. You know, that confidence can go, can crash to nothing in a heartbeat. Kind of like you were saying before, almost even worse than yeah. the confidence level. Yeah. If you, it's like, if oh, you, God, what do I do now? Yeah. And if you, if you had this illusion that you were playing so well, built up because of factors that we know maybe aren't the greatest for taking across the road onto the course, um, then that illusion of confidence can, can really crash quickly. So, so I'm not sure that um, that there are it, is that there if there's any one particular time to to invoke block practice, for example. Um, it seems like if you're going to use block practice and um, where you drill the same shot over and over and over again, the only evidence that I'm aware of that where it might be beneficial is where you're talking about the most novice of golfers who really can't get the ball airborne. And and the reason that um, the block practice might work with them is because you're really they're really not doing the same thing twice in a row anyway. <laughs> you know, you know you, so you really are, it's almost like random practice to them when yeah. you first pick up the club. Um, but I think that, that once you get even to a rudimentary a rudimentary level of skill, I think you can start making you know, more challenges to, to the golf around. Yeah. I get some pushback, and if we can um, push the conversation into that and, and the sequence of the practice and block versus random <clears throat> or interleaved, um, we use, I guess, different terms. I get some pushback sometimes when, uh, particularly for not the total beginner golfer, but mm -hmm. maybe a, a fresher golfer than most, I'll take somebody out and um, have them start curving the ball on purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of two different con um, comments. They, they say, well, you know, I just, let me get good at hitting it straight first, and then we can work on the fancy one. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, they say, well, why do I want to hit all these shots? I just need something consistent, which, you know, I appreciate in golf. Um, I, I challenge them to use the word predictable as opposed to consistent. Right. Well, maybe we can talk about that in in block versus random and, and mm -hmm. how we should open the conversation or, or what defense I suppose I, I don't know if that's the, the right approach to take of it but but for <clears> those <throat> of us that are looking to help people learn and, and if we're learning in a better way and, and it seems like like you said mm -hmm. only for the, the true beginner is blocked or in really small segments is, is block practice good how do we um, communicate that idea more fully that we want to Test you on a variety first, right. which will may actually give you um, a better predictability and a straighter shot. Okay, the I think that the um, the notion of block and random, or I actually prefer the term interleaved, uh, because that's really what you're doing is interleaving practice uh, on one thing with practice on other things, right. um, and it doesn't have to be random, purely random. So interleaved is a good term. I think that that notion of block versus interleaved practice is, um, is really not the issue at all. I, I think it gets at the issue. And the issue is 
what it is you're doing when you practice. Okay, and what you're doing when you're uh, doing block practice, typically, is you're putting a ball down, picking a club, you have a goal in mind to hit it 150 yards, and so you pick out a seven or eight iron, and you line yourself up, and you maybe uh, get a, a shot shape in mind or a direction in mind, and you grip the club to all your pre-shot routine, and then you go ahead and hit the club. Now, my experience is that some, you know, I've seen people will just now pull another ball in, sometimes not even take the, you know, the grip off the club and just pull the ball in like that, scrape and hit, you know, and and then hit the next shot. Well, what is it you're doing? Well, on that second shot, what you're not doing is all the things you did on the first shot, mm -hmm. okay? And all those things that you did on the first shot are the things that you have to do out on the golf course. You have to figure out where the trouble is. You have to pick an appropriate club. You have to pick an appropriate line. You have to pick an appropriate shot. And all that goal-oriented stuff is a part of the sequence of playing the game of golf. So what you're not doing on the practice range when you do block practice is you're not playing the game of golf. All you're doing is doing it once and then trying to repeat the biomechanics of the swing you just made. Or, if it wasn't what you wanted to achieve, just make a modification of that. Right. But you're not With selecting a motor program right. all over again. You're just trying to modify what you just did. And you have a real quick reference to just make a subtle change, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Um, Which you don't have access to on the course. Right. And yet, with interleaf practice, what you're doing if you uh, decide that on the second shot that now I'm going to go to this target over here, which is now 120 yards, and now the club I have is inappropriate. The uh, shot alignment that I had was now inappropriate. Uh, so I, I go back and I pick a new club up and I pick a new line a new target, take my stance again, and now what you're doing is something that's a little bit more difficult because you're not repeating what you just did, but you're going through the whole sequence of things that you have to learn to do to play the game, but on the golf course. The golf shot is, you know, 30 seconds long instead of just the two seconds of the swinging component. Right? That's right. That's right. So um, the, the issue of, I think... Um, that I, things I see, discussions I see on, on the internet about block versus random practice, I think don't really oftentimes get at the heart of the issue. Yeah. And the heart of the issue is what you're doing when you practice in a blocked order, what you're doing when you practice in a random order. Uh, and, and what you're doing in block practice is just repeating mechanics. Right. What you're doing in interleave practice is learning that whole process of taking a shot and making a shot. So I got to plan a shot, as you'd say, with, with as a great favor, planning it. That planning. planning component has just as much as to do with as the acting component, making the swing. Exactly. And then doing some review or thinking about it yeah. at the end. And that part of the planning component is actually retrieving an appropriate motor program. Okay, right. and and what we do is to treat, retrieve appropriate motor program for that shot. And when you're repeating the same shot over and over again, 
you're not really going through that whole retrieval process anew, as it were. You're just kind of modifying what you've already got, kind of in short-term memory. Is there anything to be said? I'm trying to think of a, a session where someone, you know, we would have them hit that seven iron to the to the white flag out there on the range, and if it didn't happen, or if they were really missing with their contact, mm -hmm. and um, and if I said, okay, no matter what, we're switching over to a nine iron this time, and then we're going to go to a three wood in every mm -hmm. single shot. Is there anything to be said? For people that only have that one hour a week of, of practice, um, or I suppose we, we could find a line where, where the person is truly new mm -hmm. to the game such that, yes, every swing is quite random mm -hmm. and they're just learning to put that together. Is there anything to be said for um, getting a bit of a groove going at the start of any one practice session, say for five minutes? Um, where it is very blocked and it's the same skill over, but it gives your brain some sort of reference for sweetness of contact so that moving forward into the random session i'm, I'm just thinking of sessions that i've had and the, the style of uh, short game practice i had this year mm -hmm. i would have people hit pitch shots initially uh, to no target whatsoever mm -hmm. just paying attention to the contact and the overall feel and fluidity of their swing and and just get a ball that's functional Mm -hmm. First off, get it up in the air. Certainly around the green, that's kind of where we would look. Is don't scull it and don't chunk it. Um, so they get a very short period of time to do that without any sort of reference point. And then they've got something to refer to. And, and I appreciate when we've talked about block versus random. Like we want mm -hmm. to have this skill um, down the road. And, and But is there any anywhere to say that at least a little bit of that steady practice gives them some kind of reference and then we can push them off into the next 45 minutes of, of interleaved or more variable type practice um I'm just because I, yeah. I, I only know my own yeah. sessions right and yeah. i feel like that there was i felt that was an efficient way but i, I want to challenge what i'm doing and, mm -hmm. and see is that am i wasting those five minutes at the start like with some perceived confidence um yeah I wish there was a research out there that had a definitive answer for you. I, I know where you're coming from and I know what you're saying and I honestly can't tell you that you're, you're right. I can't tell you that you're wrong. Uh, all I know is that the research doesn't say that support any type of block practice right. beyond what you're getting for that beginner. So it might feel good, but if, uh, well, Lynn, you know, are you familiar with Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen's yeah, books? Yeah. You know, yeah. they have a, uh, yeah. you know, the one book is called Every Shot Must Have a Purpose. Well, I, I truly believe that even in practice, every shot must have a purpose. Now, maybe perhaps part of the warm-up. Yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, I play golf too. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll hit shot after shot, but that's part of warming up. You know, when I feel that I'm ready to hit a full shot, that's when I start going into my routine, right. where I, I have a, a goal in mind, and I try and make every shot uh, something a little different, so that I have a different uh, preset routine or, or pre-shot routine. Um, okay. But I think that's similar than yeah, like that you're lubricating the joints or just kind yeah. of getting your brain 
into golf mode right. for those couple yeah. minutes and yeah. yeah really is a physical prep more than a that's right full golf shot planning yeah. and being mentally engaged yeah when you're ready to go I would say go right you know and, and maybe that's all part of the warm-up and but as part of the warm-up I wouldn't um, you know really put much stock into how well I'm hitting it right you know it's it's you don't, know, don't evaluate it don't evaluate it until you're say okay this is I'm going to hit this as best I can if I didn't then you know I need to make some changes right my body's not quite ready to go yet right or mind maybe more important <laughs> maybe